Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, August 8th, 2021, we bring you a special sermon by Pastor Bob Wade titled, The Vision, Next Step. Enjoy. The truth is, when it comes time to talk about our mission or our vision as a church, it's very easy for us to get distracted. I mean, we live in a world where, you know, our families are coming up and perhaps our kids enter a new stage of life, you know, and maybe they're playing ball or they're swimming or they're doing whatever the case may be. And we want to be there and walk with them and, you know, be around them. And so things change. Maybe they've left the home and now you're in a new stage of life. And so you're thinking about traveling and there's all these different things that become distractions in our life. And we need to be gently reminded to come back to the purpose that God has for us. But we also need to be challenged on why we're here. That you're not an accident of biology. You're the creation of the highest being there is, God. And if I believe what God's word says, it tells me that he created me with a purpose. Now biblically, I would tell you that our purpose is to be and to make disciples, followers of Christ. But how? You know that for over 2,000 years, the church has been talking, every church that preaches the gospel has been talking about making disciples. And so far, it's never been completely accomplished, ever. It's like every generation has to be re-challenged like over and over again for us to be who God wants us to be. So how do we actually be and make disciples in our world today? Probably not gonna look like what Jesus did. I mean, when Jesus was there walking around in Israel, he comes and he calls Peter and James and John and and others to sort of walk with him and they left everything behind and they walked around for three and a half years, you know, in in Israel. That's not what we're gonna call you. We're not calling you to that. What are you calling us to? Well, The only way that you and I are ever gonna become who God is intended for us to be is to figure out what does it mean to live the life of a disciple and then to do it. That's what sort of set us off on all of this this mission vision stuff is we wanted to take the steps of discipleship and simply put them in a doable form so that it wouldn't be rocket science for a family to figure out what does it mean for me to move forward spiritually? How do I do that? How do we do that as a family? So the steps are things that you can measure your own growth by, and the steps are things that we can measure the church's growth by. Now, we've divided our mission into three areas. First of all, it's encouraging everyone's next steps towards Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about this morning. Next week, Thomas will talk about helping families grow together in faith. And then the third week, Jeff will come back and he'll talk about actively serving our community. Let's talk about this morning, though. What does it mean when we say everyone's next step? What we mean is, is that we believe that God's word from the very beginning always teaches us that each of us should individually be growing. Peter, who was one of Jesus' apostles and disciples, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, tells us that we ought to be growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, primary writer of the New Testament, you know, follower of Jesus, writes and tells us in Colossians 1 that we ought to be increasing in the knowledge of God. 
So here's the question. What is going to be your growth step? Not worried about the person down the line from you. What is yours going to be? That's really the issue here this morning. Because honestly, each of us should have as our goal to become who God has called us to be. And so we've broken this into five steps. Here's the first one. Participate. Participate. Be here. Participate whether it's online or in person. Now why? Why why do we have to participate so much? I mean, I prayed the prayer. Isn't that enough? Well, the answer is no. You see, Christianity is not, you know, predicated on some intellectual assent. It's not like you just come and you go, okay, I believe that, okay, I believe that, all right, I believe that, okay, I'm good. It's not about that. And it's not like a self-help thing, like, well, I'm gonna go to church, and, and I'm, I'll go to work out, and I'll, you know, I'll do my Pilates, and I'll do my other things like that, and I'll get myself in shape, and I'm gonna go to church, and I'll get my mind straight, so I'm really thinking positively in the whole thing. It's not a self-help thing. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that something amazing and miraculous happens. We get birthed into the family of God. That's no small thing. The transition that takes place is total. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, Behold, the new has come. By faith, we are new creations. Now, Paul will add to that in Ephesians chapter two and tell us that God actually made us alive. And so to participate is to live like we are brand new creations in Christ and to live like we're one of the family. Okay, what does that mean? What are you asking me to do? Well, first of all, it means come to church. You know, for some people, coming to church is something that happens four times a year. But if it happens four times a year, it's never gonna build the consistency inside of you that allows you to really grow in your faith. And so we mean come on a regular basis as a part of a, a normal part of a schedule that you want to be God-honoring. You know, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 told us that we're not supposed to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So that means for us, it means like if you're here, you're here. If you're traveling or you're sick, well then go online. But participate with the body, the family that you've been born into. Participate. It means to sing. When we're singing a song like that, great of the Lord, it means to sing out. Well, you may say, well, I don't really like to sing in public. It isn't about you. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about honoring God. By the way, you want to hear the coolest thing Worship is the absolute most amazing thing there is because God does something remarkable. When you praise him, here's the weird thing, you'll feel amazing. God will literally let you feel the joy of what it means to be in the family. I mean, you watch and people will be singing to the Lord and there's tears coming down their eyes. 
How does that work? God has just so engineered it that all of life may seem out of order and then God pulls it all back. It's a little bit like you go through your week and everything, you know, this is a stress and this is happening over here and it's like life is all out of whack and then you come and worship and God just reorders everything exactly as it's supposed to be. He's on the throne, I'm his child, it's perfect. We're asking you to worship. We're asking you to pray because every single time we pray, we're building dependence upon God. We're calling out to God, asking him to do what we cannot do on our own. We're asking you to bring a Bible and to follow along. You say, why do I need a Bible and follow along? I mean, you put most of the stuff up on the scriptures. Well, here's the truth. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So every single time you open up the scriptures and read it or you hear it being read too, your faith grows. It may be small, but it's growing. We believe that studying God's word is gonna build your faith up. And so we ask people to participate by bringing your Bible and studying with us, learning as you go. You, know, you might say, yeah, but I don't know. You, know. you say turn to such and such a place and I don't even know where that's at. I mean, I don't know where Malachi is at. You know, look at, I know where Malachi's at, big deal. So does the devil, okay? That's not the point. The point is, well, I say, well, I don't know where all these things, we'll help you with that. We'll help you figure it all out so you know your way around in there. Listen, if you're new and you have not been you know, overly consistent, this morning we're asking you to take a step and commit to, to being here, to consistency. In fact, you know what's interesting is we've got this card, I was gonna do this at the end, but we've got this card there in the seat there in front of you. The first one on there is participate. You know exactly what we're talking about. Now the second thing is connect. It's what Thomas was talking about. Now what do you mean connect? It means getting to know other believers. Well what do you connect about? Well you connect about the Thursday night or the Sunday morning messages. Now for some of you might not even know we do a Thursday night service. This is the same exact service as Sunday morning. Exactly the same service. There's not a ton of people that come. It's a smaller crowd by far, but we did it for one reason, and that's because we read something, I'll, I'll take the blame for this one. I read something that said that you know, like 20% of America doesn't have the weekends off anymore. Do you realize how many people that is? I mean, the, the total for like Arizona is about a million and a half. We're, we decided we're gonna offer a worship experience, a Sabbath experience in the week for the people that can't be there, and so that's where we started. So people that come either on a Thursday night or they come on a Sunday morning, they get the Bible study and that's the things that they talk about in their small group, but it's not just that. They also talk about life and what they're going through and sickness and all the issues and family and mission. Connection happens in small groups and it will grow you and it will encourage you and can it be a little bit awkward and uncomfortable at the beginning? Yes. Of course it is. You're, you're gonna go in and meet with a group of people that you really don't know all that well. It takes a little bit of time to sort of gel together, but you know what? It's not hard. We never have somebody come back and go, oh, these people told me everything about their lives and I don't even wanna know anything about them anymore. Look, we're really clear about the fact that all of you are messy, right? Aren't we all messy? Some people are going, amen. 
connection. We've made this easy for you. We've set it up so there are small groups of every age, every location, every day, and every time. It's not a political discussion. It's a practical discussion on what the Bible says. It's a place of honesty and help. It's a group of people that are walking the same path you're on, dealing with the very same issues of family and job-related things and health and problems of the world. It's doing life. It's just not doing it alone. You know, Acts 2 gives us amazingly wonderful example after the church was birthed. The very first thing that happened is you notice that people started meeting together in homes. They were gathering together, studying, sharing, encouraging one another, eating meals. And it's so amazing, the passage says, and God kept adding to their number daily. They were growing. Connection is also a protection. Solomon, who's biblically the wisest man that ever lived in Ecclesiastes chapter four, verses nine and 10 said this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to the one who is alone when he falls and has no one there to lift him up. Folks, we all fall sometimes. We all have a a rough patch of life at moments of life. We need people. I mean, I love the video. I loved you mentioning that in the video right there. We need people in our lives that are there with us when we're going through those moments. People that don't judge us, but the people that will pray with us and walk with us. There's a third step, and that is serve. You were built to serve. Let me say that again. You were built by God to serve. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 said this. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Check out that line there that we, we, we colored in. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. If you're one of those people that said, you know, I just want to figure out why I'm here on the earth. There it is. You're here to do something wonderful and special with your life. To serve other people. Your birth to serve, just like Jesus. Did you know Jesus was birthed to serve? In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus, in talking about himself, says this. He says, for even the Son of Man, and by the way, that was a term he used for himself. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, later on, if you go to the, in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 16, he said these words. He says, no servant is greater than his or her master. Well, folks, if we believe in Christ, he is our master. We are not greater than him. You're called to be a servant. The church operates on servants. There's no biblical caveat that says, yeah, but I don't have to. I get a a pass. I don't need to serve. Listen, God designed us to serve. He modeled serving for us. He equips us through the Holy Spirit to serve. He expects us to serve. It's not okay to ignore his design, model, preparation, and expectation. 
You can't look at it and go, look, big church. I mean, things are kind of happening around. Okay, great. Uh, They don't need me. You've missed the point completely. You see, the issue of serving, yes, it helps other people out, but it's mostly about you. It's mostly about God developing you. That's why you'll never hear us say something like, well, the goal of the church is to have 80% of the people serving. That would be foolish. You wanna know why? That would be a little bit like saying, well, the goal of the church is to have 80% of the people being healthy, but we're good with 20% being unhealthy. That would be a a dumb thought for us. I mean, we we don't wanna think like that. The point is, every single one of us needs to reach the place where we're making our lives count. We're serving the Lord by serving other people. Every believer, individually. You know, COVID sort of disrupted serving around here. Um, It got a lot of people out of the habit. And I'd encourage you, it's time to go back and get back in serving one another, working with the children, welcoming people, whatever the case may be. In fact, you know what? If you're looking for uh, something different to try, try coming on a Thursday night and being a part of the worship family and seeing what you could do there at a Thursday night service. There's plenty of things that we can do. You say, well, I've got, they got plenty of people. It's okay, we'll always take more because it's all about what God is going to do in your life. The fourth thing is, the fourth step here is invest. And that means to put our wealth where our hearts are at. Now, whenever you mention money, I know there are some people that get very uncomfortable about that. And in fact, you go to conferences and they'll tell you, don't talk about that kind of stuff. And because and, some people will say, well, that's all they ever talk about. Well, if you've been to Highlands, we don't ever talk about that. We don't even take an offering. So don't use that as an excuse. Money, I want to be really careful about this. Giving is a heart issue. Biblically, it is a heart issue. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so let me take a moment and just show you how God views the money that he has entrusted to us. Job chapter 41, verse 11 tells us that God owns everything. God here is speaking to Job. He says this, who was first given to me that I should repay him? For whatever is under the whole earth is mine. Deuteronomy Chapter eight, verses 17 and 18 tells us that God even takes responsibility for the ability to make money. Where he says this, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. That's an interesting word right there, beware. How many times does God have to say beware before you go, okay, I get it. Take your Bible and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter nine. 2 Corinthians chapter nine, we're gonna look at verses 10, 11, and 12. Paul here is going to tell us why God gives us money. Why God gives us money. Verse 10, 
2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 10. He says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched in every way to be generous, in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. So what he tells us here in verse 10 is that God gives money for two reasons. Seed to the sower, bread for food. The seed is for giving, the bread is for living. Verse 11, he tells us that God blesses us to be generous, to give. Verse 12 says that our giving provides for the needs of the saints. Well, the needs of the saints primarily tells me that your giving ought to be to local churches because that's where the saints are. Now, keep your finger here, or just go over to the left, or excuse me, to the right, and go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, because the Apostle Paul is going to tell us even more. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Starting in verse 18, Paul writes and he says, They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So in verse 18 there, what what Paul says is do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. Verse 19, he says, store up treasures for ourselves in heaven. Now truthfully, if you're an investor, I will tell you that's the best investment you'll ever make in your whole life. Now, here's here's something interesting I thought about. Where in the world did Paul get those words from? Jesus. Go back to the left, to the first gospel, to Matthew, and go to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. Starting in verse 19. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other, but you cannot serve God and money. So verse 19, he says, do not lay over yourselves treasures in this life. Why? Because they won't last. And they will not pay off when you need them. You ever play Monopoly? What is the goal of Monopoly? In the first service, it was funny because a couple of different people said, well, get Boardwalk and Park Place, right? There's actually one better. Anybody know? Orange. Orange has the highest rate of investment of any place on, on the whole thing, okay? So you, make, you wanna make sure you get those things and then you come along and you buy a hotel and you put the hotel on with the idea that as other people go around the board, they're gonna land on your property and when they do, they gotta pay up. 
And then the whole point is to make them suffer. And every time they go around, you know, they give you more money until the fine. They're, they're selling off stuff and they're doing their best they can to possibly, you know, stay in the game. And then pretty soon it's just over and you've taken it all. You know, there's that moment of, of adulation. It's like, I win, I'm smarter than you. When it really, you had nothing to do with the roll of the dice. But I mean, you know, we, we love that kind of thing. And then it's all over and you take it and the game goes back in the box and then back into the closet and that's it. You can't go to the market and take those dollars from the Monopoly game and buy groceries. You cannot go down and, and purchase a new car with Monopoly money. The same thing is true with the treasures of this life. When you get to eternity, everything that we've laid up here on earth goes back in the box. It's useless. It's worthless. Instead, Jesus gives these words, verse 20 there, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, by the way, some people will wonder, can you have it both ways? Drop back down to verse 24, because it tells us, notice what Jesus says here, you will be devoted to one and you will despise the other. Here's what that tells me, is that money can create devotion challenges in our lives. What we do with our money is a big deal because God knows it's tied to our hearts. In fact, let me show you something so cool about this. I want you to go back to the right. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter nine. 2 Corinthians chapter nine. And I want to look at verse 12 again. 2 Corinthians chapter nine, look at verse 12. Paul writes and he says, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. Now notice that word overflowing. Let me give you an example of overflowing. Because of the obedience of the church and your faithfulness in giving over the last four months, God has produced an overflow. God gave us the opportunity to bless 28 different ministry partners, some of them here in the valley, some of them around the world in different places, who are committed to doing gospel work. And when I say bless, I mean we, we had the ability at that time because of God's faithfulness to, to put out over $500,000 over and above what is regularly set up for missions and giving. That's overflow. As a result of that, here's what happened. Babies got saved. Women got rescued from the sex traffic and sex trade. Thousands of children got fed. Medical debt got paid off. We were able to help with relief from natural disasters. The gospel was taken around the world providing hope. Folks, that is storing up treasures in heaven. And if you've been giving to Highlands Church, that is a part of what you've been doing. And I want to tell you, I want to be really clear here, that is not tooting our own horn. This is about encouraging you that God uses the faithfulness of a group of people to build his kingdom. Investing is a heart issue. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so what we're asking of you is invest in the kingdom work. Now there's a fifth thing and that is multiply. 
Multiply is the final command that Jesus gave his followers as he went into heaven. You can see it at the end of Matthew chapter 28 and you can see it in the beginning of Acts chapter, uh, chapter one. Matthew 28 tells us this in verses 19 through 20. It says, go therefore and make disciples. That word disciples means followers. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is a call to intentionally build into others' lives, and it is a process. First, you need somebody to to build into you and to help you become a faithful follower, so you get discipled. You get mentored spiritually, but then you reach a place where, look, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm ready to start building into other people's lives and to mentor them and so on and so on and so on. And you can do this. Craig and Don Johnson are faithful servants here. Faithful servants. They do this. Craig has ALS. At this point, he's bound to a wheelchair. He can't do some of the things he used to do. That hasn't stopped him and Don. They still lead a small group. They have a prayer ministry going on. You want to know what makes them amazing and special is they are figuring out how to build into others for the kingdom of God. Discipleship is an intentional plan to build God's kingdom. It and, and it fulfills Jesus's command. And every you know every believer ought to be involved. That is the goal. You know Ephesians two tells us that before trusting in Christ, you and I were dead spiritually. And then there's this wonderful thing happens. The gift of faith comes and. And by faith and trusting in Jesus, John chapter one verse twelve tells us that we become children of God. And I love that. And if you know me at all, you'll know that I absolutely love my children and I love my grandchildren. I have four grandkids and three kids and hopefully there'll be lots more on the way. And I I do, I love them, but I don't want them to stay babies. That the natural course of life would tell me that they shouldn't stay a baby, right? I mean, they, they grow up, crawl, walk, you know, and run. At first it's just unintelligible, blah, blah, you know, like, and then all of a sudden it's, they're, they're having a conversation with you. That's the natural course of life. You realize that's true also spiritually? The Bible tells us that we're supposed to grow up. In 1 Corinthians 13, 11, it says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish things. And so when someone comes to faith in Jesus, I'll be honest with you, I sort of expect them to act like a young Christian once in a while. But if someone's been a believer for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, I expect you to grow up spiritually, to mature, not to be a child in your faith any longer, but to be a disciple. You know, I'm gonna ask the worship team if they'll come back and they'll join me. Discipleship follows God's plan. It was designed by God. It was modeled by Jesus. Practiced by the apostles, outlined in the scripture, carried out by the faithful. Discipleship 
develops God's people. It develops servants. Paul, the primary writer of the New Testament at one time was a very famous and rich Pharisee and then he came to the Lord and he lost everything but so that he could take the gospel out, he started making tents. David, anointed to be the king of Israel instead of taking off for Jerusalem and where where the kings should go, you know what he does? If you read the passage, he goes back to taking care of the flock until God told him it was time for him to do something else. Discipleship will make better husbands and better wives. It will make better mothers and fathers. It will make better human beings. Discipleship builds God's church through helping people participate, connect, serve, invest, multiply. Listen, the Gospels record five times Jesus looking at people and saying, believe in me. Five times. But 20 times, it records Jesus looking at a group of people and saying, follow me. You see, following puts belief to the test. Following. What is he asking for? The truth is, action follows affection. Action follows affection. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to take action. As lovers of Christ, I'm going to ask you to take out this card that's there in front of you and fill this out. You can do it on your phone, on the app if you want to. You can simply go to Next Steps. You can fill it out there. But we're asking you to do one or the other. By doing this, it will give you direction and it will give us direction. If you say, well, I, you know, I come to church. Okay, you're already there on the participate. You can check that. Say, well, I'm, I'm not in a small group. It's time for me to go. Good, check that. You can take it out and you can even stop by the table and we can put you into the exact right group. Otherwise, you can stop and you can look at it and go, okay, I, I need to serve, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of scared. I don't know what to do. Where, how do I, I mean, what do I do on this one? We're not gonna throw you to the wolves. That's week two. I'm, I'm kidding. We're not gonna do that. We're gonna come alongside of you, figure out what is it you like, what do you do well, what would you feel like you would succeed at, and then we're gonna come beside you and help you. What about invest? This is a heart challenge. I'd encourage you, step to the challenge. And then multiply. Say, I'm willing to be built into or build into others for the cause of Christ. We'll get a hold of you, just mark it in there. At the end of our service, we've got some boxes that are in the back of each one of these aisles. Just simply go by there and drop it in there or if you'd like to go by and and stop at our, our table back there. For small groups, you could do that there. But would you take a moment right where you're at and I, I want you to know something. I know exactly what I'm asking for. I'm asking for a moment of kind of awkward silence. But would you take a moment right where you're at and mark how God wants you to do this? 
I would encourage you to say yes to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life. If your heart's beating fast telling you you should do this, don't talk yourself out of that. Obey the Holy Spirit in your life. Father, would you move in a powerful way to push or pull or whatever the case may be, each of us to a closer walk with you to make our lives count for the kingdom. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as soon as we're done here, there's gonna be a group of people, our prayer team's gonna be down here available just to pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. We'd love for you to come and allow us to, to pray with you during that time. I wanna encourage you again, say yes to the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. Action follows affection in our lives. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. If you wanna know where that comes from. God bless you. Love you all. Have a good day.